You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. There was a guy that, that believed those words. It was the Apostle Paul. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Philippians as we're continuing our series called The Book. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 in just a second, but I'm even going to kind of start off in chapter 1. But the Apostle Paul certainly believed that, that truth, that even when I don't see, even when I don't feel it, God, you're still working. If, as far as just kind of like general thoughts on, on Philippians, um, I don't know if there's a better book, especially short book, that helps us get a picture of what it looks like to find your greatest pleasure and your greatest purpose in Jesus. That's what our goal is as a church, is to help people find their greatest pleasure and their greatest purpose in Jesus. And, and again, it's certainly demonstrated in the book of Philippians. You can't help but see that with the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. And in a way, this book is kind of a, a missionary update letter in that he's, he's on mission. And actually, when he writes this, where is he at? Do you remember? He's in jail, he's in prison, and he's, uh, he's kind of updating the Philippian church about what God's doing and, and, and what's going on. Um, Philippians is a great book for, for new believers to read because it's very accessible. Um, actually, I would even choose, like, it doesn't really matter, it's just my opinion, but I think if um, someone's a new Christian and say, where, sh- where should I start? I would probably choose Philippians over Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, only because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are actually can be pretty tough to read, where Philippians is very, very accessible, very, very simple. At the same time, Philippians, while it's good for new believers, it's also great for those who are more seasoned in their faith, more mature, you could say, because there's not a better example, I don't think, of what a mature believer looks like. So no matter kind of where you're on on the spectrum, or where you're at on the spectrum of, of growing in your spiritual walk, and Philippians is incredibly helpful, incredibly, maybe you could say even simple to read, but it's very, very rich, very, very thick. With the idea of it being kind of a missionary update, he, he tells them, again, what God is doing, even though he's in prison. I mentioned a second ago uh, the idea of, of that bridge being so important that even when I can't see it, you're working. The verses we're about to read in chapter one are a great example of that, that Paul, no matter what, saw God moving, saw God working. So just, we're not, again, this is not really our text, but just for the sake of um, understanding the whole context of the book, look at verse 12 of chapter one with me. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, again, being in prison, has actually advanced the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. (laughs) What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. 
Yes, and I will rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and hope from the spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Time out. Do you catch his passion for the gospel? Like, man, I'm in, I'm in prison, but even here, the gospel is spreading. I'm getting to tell the Roman soldiers about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the gospel is spreading. Even people who aren't in prison, but believers out in Rome and in other cities, as they're hearing about my boldness, it's encouraging them to be bold. So, man, the God is working, the, the gospel is advancing. That's pretty powerful. What a powerful testimony. And then he even ends, like I said in verse, or we read in verse 20, he says, you know what? My goal is that, my hope is that I'm just courageous because no matter what, I want Christ to be honored. Whether I live or whether I die, as long as Christ is honored, that's what matters to me. Like, that's a testimony. And here's the thing. We, we say that. I was talking with Pam Copeland one time. She's our children's director. And I appreciated her honesty and I totally agree with her. When people say like, if, if, someone held a gun to your head and, and asked you if you're a Christian, would you say yes? Like, I sure hope I would. I've never been faced with that. Does that make sense? Like, just being honest, like, I, gosh, I hope I would, but I've never been faced with that. Paul was kind of pretty regularly faced with that, and he said yes. <laughs> what a testimony. As long as, as long as Christ is honored, as long as the gospel's going forward, I don't care what happens to me, that's, that's what matters most. I think a an obvious question that probably a lot of us would, or maybe even in this moment, kind of have churning in our stomachs is, how, how did Paul get that way? Like, how did a dude who used to persecute Christians now become so sold out for the cause of Christ? I think the answer is just one more verse. Verse 21 of chapter one. For, so because, so why do I have this attitude that I just want the gospel to go forward and as long as Christ is honored, that's what matters? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Christ was his everything. And when Christ is your everything, you just want to see him glorified and honored in anything. <laughs> no matter what it is, as long as Christ can be honored, that, that's all I care about. That's the attitude of Paul. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So everything in this life, Paul says, is wrapped up in Jesus. He's, he's my heartbeat. He's, he's my joy. He's my greatest treasure, my greatest pleasure and purpose. And if I die, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. So he says, either way, it's all about Jesus. He is everything to me. Then if you would flip over, we're getting closer to our text. Flip over to chapter three. And there's just a little background. There's been some, uh, he hinted at it in chapter one where you saw that some are, are preaching out of rivalry. Some are trying to hurt him in his imprisonment. We don't know the full story there. But apparently there's some comparison going on of, of people trying to one-up Paul. Like, well, Paul's a nobody. If he, if he was really so spiritual, he wouldn't be in jail. That's like the health and wealth trash, right? Well, if Paul was so great, he wouldn't be in prison. Like, uh, if you carry that logic, that's like saying, well, if Jesus was so perfect, why was he crucified? Like, that's stupid, okay? Um, ridiculous logic. So, but there's people comparing and contrasting themselves with Paul and trying to one-up him. And listen to what he says. 
I'm gonna jump in verse two. Watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the spirit of God, who boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Do you get what he's setting up here? Paul's saying, look, if you want to have a religious contest, if you want to have a who's the more spiritual person contest, let's go, bro. Like, let's square up. If you want to compare who's lived a more perfect life, then, then let's talk about it. He says, Verse five, I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteous, excuse me, righteousness that is in the law, blameless. He says, man, I, you look at this, this trophy case, man, it's, it's solid, bro. Like all kinds of spiritual trophies, religious moral trophies. Verse seven, but everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, as poop, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Do you see what's happened there? He says, I consider that trophy case of morality, of religiosity, I, I can, it's trash, it's rubbish. Because that Focusing on that pre prevents me from knowing and enjoying Christ. And he says, my goal is to know Christ. I want to know him with all that I have. Go with me. Now we're getting closer. We're arriving at our text. Verse 12. Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us all who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Did you catch that? Apostle Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to, I want to experience his love. I want, to, I want to walk in his righteousness and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be conformed to his death. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And then he says, but, but I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to press on. I'm not there, so I'm going to press on to know him more. This earlier this week, uh, my daughter, Caroline Tate, who's three years old, was helping me make the bed. And as we we're making the bed, I said, man, you, Caroline Tate, you are, you are just so awesome. Seriously, you are, you're so cool for helping make the bed. And she said, I'm, I, daddy, I'm, I'm not awesome. I'm, I'm pretty. 
And I said, on a side note, she, she's a little confused on words. I think for some reason she thinks awesome is a boy word. Like she understands that handsome is a boy word and we get that. She'll call me and Bubba Haddon handsome. But for some reason she's also translated awesome as a boy word. And so that's why she said that. And I said, well, Caroline Tate, like you are pretty. You're pretty and you're awesome. And she just like put down the little edge of the blanket that she was kind of helping, not really. Anyways, and she put down her lip began to quiver. She said, I'm not awesome. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, all right, yeah. Okay, I don't know where to go with that. She, she had this misunderstanding of, of awesome, right? Of what all the word awesome entails and, and includes. Why do I say that? When we think about grace as believers, I think sometimes we, we, we forget all that it entails. Here's what I mean. Grace, this is a Dallas Willard, I'm kind of quoting, it's really a thought that I'm stealing from him, but Dallas Willard, the late Dallas Willard said, um, grace is opposed to earning. You can't earn grace. Grace by definition is you, you don't deserve it, right? That's why I would talk about like, you're not worthy. It's, it's grace is you, you, you don't deserve it. So grace is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. Now, if it's effort to earn something, eh, wrong. But grace is not opposed to effort in the sense that once you've experienced grace, you put in effort because you want to experience and taste that grace even more. Does it make sense? Matthew Henry, he was a pastor in England like in the 1600s, and he said, um, where there is true grace, there is a desire for more grace. So once you've tasted it, once you know grace, you want to experience it more. I think often in, in our culture today, we have this idea of like, I'm a Christian and now I know Jesus and it's by grace and now I'm just chilling. And that was not how Paul saw it. He saw it as, I, I know grace, I've experienced the, the love of Jesus and I wanna press on to know him more. I wanna experience that grace, his goodness even more. A.W. Tozer, he wrote a book in the 1940s and I, it's funny because to me this phrase is like, kind of something people say now, but he said, uh, it challenged believers to go hard after a holy God. Think about going hard to paint basketball, right? Something I do all the time, not really, no. but this idea of, of you're going to push it. You're going you're gonna to strive. You're going to, even if you take some fouls going to, driving through the lane, like you're going to push, you're going to go, you're going to go hard. A.W. Tozer challenged believers to go hard after a holy God. I think A.W. Tozer's call is relevant for us today to, to go hard after God. You're going to see as we kind of dive into this text a little bit more, very quickly, that Paul's not just saying, hey, I'm pressing on to know Jesus. It's great. You know, he's saying, I'm pressing on and you should follow my example. So the question I want you to consider this morning is, are you pressing on to know Jesus? Or are you just chilling? <laughs> what, what describes your attitude towards Jesus? Are you pressing on to know him? Are you going hard after him? Or, or are you just kind of hanging out, coasting, cruising, relaxing? A passage I think is very, is very simple. Press on. But I think in this text, Paul gives us some reasons why we should press on and even how, like what does it look like to press on after Jesus? 
So I won't, again, I'll, I'll be quick through these things so you have to listen carefully or listen quickly. Um, and I'll try to talk not too fast. But four, four reasons why we should press on and then two reasons or yeah, two ways to how we can press on. So four reasons why. Here's the first one. You're not there yet. <laughs> what? You're not there yet. There being, you're not to heaven yet. You don't fully know Jesus. You haven't, exp- you haven't dove completely into to fully grasping who he is and, and perfectly walking with him. You're not there yet. We don't perfectly understand and know the power of his resurrection yet. You're not there yet. Don't you love it when you're talking? I do this. I, I'm so like, maybe I've done this to you. You can make fun of me. Don't you love it when you're talking to somebody and they're like, no, hey, look, 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 I, I'm not perfect. <laughs> and you want to be like, right. Like, like I, I know that <laughs> you're not there yet. If the apostle, the apostle Paul said in verse 12, I haven't already arrived. I haven't reached the goal. And then in verse 13, he also says, I do not consider that I have taken hold of it. So if the apostle Paul said, he's not there. He doesn't fully know Christ like he wants to. Silly for us to think that we've got there, isn't it? (laughs) I love in verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. So a mature believer has the attitude of, man, I'm I'm not there yet. Like, I, I don't know Christ like I want to. Like, a sure way to know that you're immature in your faith is to think you've got it down. Or a, a, a sure way to know that you're immature in your faith is to think that you're mature. If you, if you kind of have this feeling of like, man, I'm just, you know, I'm in a really good spot with my relationship with the Lord. Like, I feel like I'm killing it right now. Like, just, just go ahead and tell yourself. And that's proof that I'm not killing it. Like, I'm not walking with him like I should. How do we know that? If you look back to chapter two, he talks about the humility that Christians should live out from the inside out because of the humility of Christ. Uh, how can we be arrogant next to the cross? Carl, Carl Henry asked that question. How can you be arrogant standing next to the cross? The most humble act that the world has ever known. So why, why do we press on? Why do we strive after knowing him and pushing on and reaching forward to know Christ more? We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Here's a second reason. Why should we press on? Christ has taken hold of you. If you know Jesus Christ, if you are a believer, Christ has taken hold of you. So that should cause you to lead you to want to take hold of, reach out toward him. Where am I, where am I getting this from? It's in, from chapter 12, or excuse me, verse 12 as well. He says, not that I've already reached the goal, I'm already perfect, but i Every, I make every effort to take hold of it because <clears throat> I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. So just some clarity again. This is not earning. This is not if I reach toward Christ, if I, if I strain towards knowing him more, then, I'll, then he'll take hold of me. Ain't wrong again. No, it's because he has reached out and taken hold of me. I want to reach up towards him to know him more. Think about that. This idea that He's taken hold of you. I love that the ESV says he has made you his own. He's grasped you. Think about that. The one who stretched out the heavens and then his arms were stretched out on the cross has stretched out to make you one of his own children. Isn't that good? Isn't that amazing? 
that we who once were far off and enemies of God, Ephesians teaches us, has brought us near by the blood of Jesus Christ. First Peter says that we once, <clears throat> sorry, we once were in darkness and now we are in marvelous light. Galatians teaches us that we once were under this slavish burden to the law and, and hopeless, could never break out of our sin. But Jesus did what we could never do. He took the curse for us on the, cre- on the tree and has brought us from death and slavery to freedom and life. <laughs> He's taken hold of us. So Paul says, because he's taken hold of me and made me his own, I want to reach out towards him and I want to know him. It makes me think of the painting of Michelangelo um, of creation, where in the picture, uh, God is the, it's just a picture, but in the picture, you see the hand of God reaching down towards Adam and Adam is, is laying down like this. <laughs> And that's a, unfortunately, that's a depiction of our Christianity so often, right? God has reached towards us and we're just like, hey God. <laughs> like, no, Paul says, no, he's, he's grabbed a hold of me. I want to grab a hold of him. I, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I, I want to know what it's like to, to live boldly for him, even to the point that I suffer as he has suffered. I want to know him. Why should you press on? Because Christ has taken hold of you. That was the second one. Here's the third reason why we should press on. They're very closely tied together, numbers two and three. But the third one is to know him. Why should you press on? To know him. (laughs) So you can know him. Think about the, the invitation in verse 14. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. The idea really simply is that heaven and eternity with Jesus, Jesus is the goal. He's the prize and he's calling me. It's, it's God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So it's this invitation of, of, of Jesus to, to know him more, to experience him more. There's more, like no one in this room, no one in that room, no one on earth <laughs> has fully seen and experienced the majesty of Jesus. There's more majesty of Jesus to see. There's more glory to see. There's more love to experience. There's more joy to know. There's more freedom to walk in. Don't you want to know that? Isn't this cool too, that he's saying, and the goal to know him, not that we arrive on this earth, but the idea is that we can know him more. Remember, repeat that. You can know him more. How often do we sit down to read our Bible? Or maybe you don't sit down and read your Bible because you feel like it's just worthless. But even when you do sit down and your attitude's kind of, okay, just, all right, whatever. Just read this, I guess. Oh, that didn't make any sense. (laughs) Jesus is not inviting you to chase some ungraspable, ungraspable shadow. He's inviting you to know him and it's real. When you spend time with him, he's not just playing. It's not this like carrot out in front of you that he's just toying with you. No, he wants you to experience and to know him. So press on. 
The fourth reason why we should press on. This may come as a shocker to you. But believers, we tend to drift. We, we used, back in the day, we still we call it like backsliding, right? Look at verse 16. In any case... We should live up to whatever truth we have attained. He doesn't mean whatever truth, like whatever, whatever your truth is. Man, that's not what he's talking about. The idea is that, so as far as you've come in Jesus, whatever you've, you've understood in scripture and he showed you and you've walked in the Holy Spirit and he's teaching you and guiding you, whatever, whatever growth you've experienced, hold true to that. Don't go backwards. You know what? There's no standing still in the Christian life. I think that's why verse 16 is there. There's no standing still. Was, I referenced this a few weeks ago, a month ago, that the Ben Rector song that standing still isn't easy when the world's moving backwards. That's the truth. Like the ways of this world are always pushing you and knocking you off course. So you're either kind of drifting from Christ or you're, you're pressing on to know him more. There's no standing still. D.A. Carson, uh, theologian says, people do not drift toward holiness. <laughs> we drift toward sin, don't we? So why should we press on? Why should we, why should we pursue Jesus? Because we tend to drift. One of my favorite things about summer that we haven't done in a long time is uh, getting to go float the river. You like floating the river? We have to drive to go do that, right? How <laughs> many rivers around here that are really float? Do we? Can you float a river near Lubbock? I didn't think so. Okay. <laughs> A lot of us, hopefully this doesn't test this out. Oh, we're good. A lot of us have a float the river Christianity mentality. I don't think I have to unpack this. You know what I mean, right? It's kind of, we get saved. Jesus starts us on this journey and we're like, sweet. Got my little cup holder, put my koozie in there. Like, and we just float wherever life takes us. And then we're like, I don't, I don't know why. I just feel distant from God. I don't, I don't really hear his presence. I don't, I don't sense his nearness. And God's like, because you're just floating down the river, man. You're not going to naturally float towards the things of God. We're still broken, sinful people. And on your own, we drift toward sin. The very common idea, like, God's not the one that moved, right? <laughs> we are the ones who have drifted. So the metaphor in the text is not this stupid uh, float the river idea. The metaphor, the, the language of the text of what we should do since we drift is in verse 13 towards the end. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Uh, the ESV says, straining forward to what lies ahead. The language there is the same language used of a runner at the end of a race. Think about a race, how hard that is on your body, how much you strain. But even, um, even at the end of a race, after a runner has given their all, they still strain forward with every ounce, every fiber of their being, just a little further to reach that goal. Do you see the contrast in the metaphors of we tend towards the float the river Christianity and Paul saying, man, I want to run with every ounce of my fiber to know Jesus. I'm reaching for it. I want to experience him. I want to know him. I'm not going to drift. I'm going to pursue him with all that I have. 
What does that look like? Okay, it's a cool metaphor, but how do we reach forward? How do we strain forward? I I think two things real quick we're gonna see. The first one, choose to treasure Christ above all. So how do we do it? By the way, sorry these points are on the screen. I totally rewrote my sermon yesterday afternoon and I didn't want to ask Jackson to make new slides, so sorry. (laughs) But number one, how do you do it? You choose to treasure Christ above all. And I think the verses that are so helpful here, we already read them. Look back at verse seven of chapter three. Again, the trophy case, religion idea, righteousness. And he says, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. So Paul says, everything that made me a somebody, everything that I found my worth in that made me noticeable and even famous, you could say all of that, I count it as lost, as nothing for the sake of Christ. More than that, verse eight, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. So again, how do you press on to know him more? How do you pursue him? You choose to treasure Christ above all. That still seems a little abstract. Here's the deal. As long as I am pursuing and treasuring anything other than Jesus, those things will prevent me from pursuing and treasuring Jesus like I should. Paul says, I, I, I threw all that away because I wanted to know Christ. How many of us, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, the conversations we have are showing that we actually are treasuring the things of this world or treasuring ourselves over treasuring Jesus. You want to pursue Christ? You want to know him more? Choose to treasure him above all. Second thing, really quick. How do you do it? You set your gaze on Christ. Set your gaze on Christ. As you're writing that, I'm going to read again verse 13 through, verses 13 through 14. It says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and, so this simultaneously, I'm forgetting what is behind and at the same time, I'm reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So rather than looking backward, I'm looking forward towards Jesus. I'm setting my gaze on Jesus. I love this quote from, from John Piper about that idea of, of forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He says, I take this to mean that anything in your background which hinders your pursuit of God, you should put out of your mind. Don't take this to mean that memory has no place in our spiritual artillery. It does. Some battles are won by remembered mercies. The point is not, don't ever look back. The point is this, only look back for the sake of pressing forward. Never substitute nostalgia for hope. Never substitute memories of successes because they can make you smug and self-satisfied. 
Memories of failure can make you hopeless and paralyzed in your pursuit of God. Never look back like that. Give humble thanks for successes, make humble confessions for failure, then turn to the future and go hard after God. It's a good word. Don't let anything that happened yesterday prevent me from pursuing Christ today, chasing after him today. We've said this before, your past doesn't define, it may explain you, but it doesn't define you. So don't live in it. It doesn't set parameters for who you are today. Set your eyes on Christ. And, and, and what does that look like? I mean, it's the, some of the best ways to set your eyes on Christ, just to dig into scripture. He is the word of God. Spend time with him in prayer. When, when you come to worship, one, just coming, so good job you did that. And, and then choosing to engage, right? God, I want to set my eyes on you. I'm not going to just sit here and go through the motions and check and wait till we can go eat lunch or whatever. Like, I, I, I'm going to choose to engage and focus on Christ. This doesn't just mean getting busier. Like, if, if it's just like, press, press on, I'm going to go hard, I'm going to read my Bible three hours a day, I'm going to do all this stuff. Like, don't exactly miss what we're saying here. I've been reading a book um, by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I love what he says. He says that often when we're hurried, when we're so busy and we're always running to the next thing in our lives, the things we should run to first, setting our gaze on Jesus, are often the first things to go. So true. We, we're in this rat race of life and always busy it's hard to set your gaze on Jesus. So for maybe for you this morning, the call to press on, yes, is to dig into scripture and spend time in prayer and all the spiritual disciplines, but maybe Jesus is tapping on your heart like you did on me and saying, Brandon, the best way for you to press on is to clear a little space. Many of you, you're reading your Bible, you're praying, but you're not, you don't feel like it's actually resonating. Maybe it's because God doesn't actually have your attention because you go, 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 busy, busy, busy. And so you don't have time to actually sit in God's presence and gaze on him. As I finish, I think there's two postures you could leave with today. And I hope it's the second one I'm gonna describe. The first posture could be, and I kind of hinted at this already, this already, but the first posture could be this, all right, time to press on. Better go get some more deodorant. Gonna be sweating a lot this week. Gonna be going hard in the paint for Jesus. And this kind of drudgery, this, you even feel kind of heavy. The second posture is the, Paul, the posture that Paul has, and I think it's in verse, verses 13 and 14, and that it's the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. So it's not, this posture has this idea of, Jesus up there, mm, 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 you little sinner, shame on you. You are not pressing on. Gosh, you're the worst. <laughs> the, the biblical idea, God's heavenly call that Jesus is saying, come on, come on. Don't you want to know me more? Don't you want to experience me more? And when you see him doing that, it changes your posture from uh, to delight. Oh man, Jesus is calling me to know him more, to experience him more, to walk in his grace and his freedom and love more, to live more boldly for him. I see you calling me, Jesus. I, I accept that invitation. I wanna, I wanna pursue you. I wanna press on. Do you see the difference in that? From, from drudgery to delight. 
So this morning, if you're a believer, I wanna encourage you to respond to the invitation of Jesus to press on after him, knowing that there's nothing greater, nothing more pleasurable, nothing more satisfying than Jesus Christ alone. So press on, press on. Some of you this morning, you're, you're not a believer. <clears throat> and maybe this morning, you sense Jesus tapping on your heart to call you to himself, to make you his own, to, as the text says, to grab hold of you. Realizing that you don't deserve it. You could have never earned it. You're a broken, sinful person, but Jesus stretched out on the cross to die for you, to pay the price for your sins, rose again three days later and wants to grab hold of you to give you new life and forgiveness and a relationship with him. So this morning, I'm gonna ask you to, to like, you can't really press on until you know him. So I'm gonna ask you this morning to, to grab hold of him as he grabs hold of you so that you can run this race with Jesus as a child of God. In a moment, as we sing, there are gonna be some, some folks down front that would love to pray with you, love to talk with you about any decisions you make. If you're watching online, you can uh, shoot us a message there, shoot us a message there. We'd love to see what God is doing in your life and see how we can pray for you. I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing and respond. God, thank you so much for, for your love, for grace. Thank you for taking hold of us. And God, may we, because of that, <clears throat> see your invitation to press on, to know you more. To not live this lazy Christianity that just kind of floats down the river of life, but we strive and strain to know you more, to be more like you. God, would you give us boldness to, to respond? If that means coming down and praying at the front with somebody, if that means um, just standing and singing and, and thinking about your goodness, that we get to know you an incredible, great God, or whatever it is, would you lead us to press on? And God, would you draw people to yourself for salvation? Would you give them boldness to respond? God, we love you. I'm grateful for you speaking to us. Would you help us? If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 